Chapters thirty six to thirty nine of Tristram Shandy, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julie from William. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentlemen, Volume two, by Lawrence Stern. Chapter thirty six. With all this learning upon noses running perpetually in my father's fancy, with so many familiar prejudices, and ten decades of such tales running on forever along with them, how was it possible with such exquisite, was it a true nose, that a man with such exquisite feelings as my father had, could bear the shock at all below stairs, or indeed above stairs, in any other posture but the very posture I have described? Throw yourself down upon the bed a dozen times, taking care only to place a looking-glass first in a chair on one side of it before you do it. But was the stranger's nose a true nose, or was it a false one? To tell that beforehand, madam, would be to do injury to one of the best tales in the Christian world, and that is a tenth of the tenth decade which immediately follows this. This tale, cried Slokenbergius, somewhat exultingly, has been reserved by me for the concluding tale of my whole work, knowing right well that when I shall have taught it, and my reader shall have read it through, it would be even high time for both of us to shut up the book inasmuch, continues Slokenbergius, as I know of no tale which could possibly ever go down after it. Tis a tale indeed. This sets out with the first interview in the inn at Lyon, when Fernandez left the courteous stranger and his sister Julia alone in her chamber, and is overwritten. The Intricacies of Diego and Julia Heavens! Thou art a strange creature, Slokenbergius. What a whimsical view of the involutions of the heart of woman hast thou opened! How this can ever be translated! And yet if this specimen of Slokenbergius's tales, and the exquisitiveness of his morals, should please the world, translated shall a couple of volumes be. Else, how this can ever be translated into good English, I have no sort of conception. There seems in some passages to want a sixth sense to do it rightly. What can he mean by the lambent pupillability of slow, low, dry chat five notes below the natural tone? which you know, madam, is little more than a whisper. The moment I pronounced the words, I could perceive an attempt towards a vibration in the strings about the region of the heart. The brain made no acknowledgment. There is often no good understanding betwixt them. I felt as if I understood it. I had no ideas. The movement could not be without cause. I am lost. I can make nothing of it. Unless may it please your worships, the voice in that case being little more than a whisper, unavoidably forces the eyes to approach, not only within six inches of each other, but to look into the pupils. Is not that dangerous? But it can't be avoided. For to look up to the ceiling, in that case, the two chins unavoidably meet, and to look down into each other's laps, their foreheads come to immediate contact, which at once puts an end to the conference, I mean to the sentimental part of it. 
What is left, madam, is not worth stooping for. Chapter 37 My father lay stretched across the bed as still as if the hand of death had pushed him down, for a full hour and a half before he began to play upon the floor with the toe of that foot which hung over the bedside. My uncle Toby's heart was a pound lighter for it. In a few moments his left hand, the knuckles of which had all the time reclined upon the handle of the chamber-pot, came to its feeling. He thrust it a little more within the valance, drew up his hand when he had done into his bosom, gave it him. My good Uncle Toby, with infinite pleasure, answered it, and full glad he would have engrafted a sentence of consolation upon the opening it afforded. But having no talents, as I said, that way, and fearing, moreover, that he might set out with something which might make a bad matter worse, he contented himself with resting his chin placidly upon the cross of his crutch. Now, whether the compression shortened my Uncle Toby's face into a more pleasurable oval, or that the philanthropy of his heart, in seeing his brother beginning to emerge out of the sea of his afflictions, had braced up his muscles, so that the compression upon his chin only doubled the benignity which was there before, is not hard to decide. My father, in turning his eyes, was struck with such a gleam of sunshine in his face, as melted down the sullenness of his grief in a moment. He broke silence as follows. Chapter 38 Did ever man, brother Toby, cried my father, raising himself upon his elbow and turning himself round to the opposite side of the bed, where my uncle Toby was sitting in his old French chair, with his chin resting upon his crutch. "'Did ever a poor unfortunate man, brother Toby,' cried my father, "'receive so many lashes?' "'The most I ever saw given,' quoth my uncle Toby, "'ringing the bell at the bed's head for trim, "'was to a grenadier, I think a McKay's regiment.' I had my uncle Toby shot a bullet through my father's heart. He could not have fallen down with his nose upon the quilt more suddenly. "'Bless me,' said my uncle Toby. CHAPTER Thirty-Nine. "'Was it McKay's regiment?' quoth my uncle Toby, where the poor grenadier was so unmercifully whipped at Bruges about the ducats. "'Oh, Christ, he was innocent!' cried Trim with a deep sigh. And he was whipped, may it please your honour, almost to death's door. They had better have shot him outright, as he begged, and he had gone directly to heaven, for he was as innocent as your honour. I think thee, Trim, quoth my uncle Toby. I never think of his, continued Trim, and my poor brother's tell misfortunes, for we were all three schoolfellows, but I cry like a coward. "'Tears are no proof of cowardice, Trim.' "'I dropped them off times myself,' cried my Uncle Toby. "'I know your honour does,' replied Trim, "'and so I am not ashamed of it myself.' "'But you think, may it please your honour,' continued Trim, "'a tear stealing into the corner of his eye as he spoke, "'to think of two virgin lads with hearts as warm in their bodies, "'and as honest as God could make them, 
the children of honest people going forth with gallant spirits to seek their fortunes in the world, and fall into such evils. Poor Tom! To be tortured upon a wreck for nothing, but marrying a Jew's widow who sought sausages. Almost Dick Johnson's soul to be scorched out of his body, for the ducats another man put into his knapsack. Oh, these are misfortunes, cried Trim, pulling out his handkerchief. These are misfortunes, may it please your honour, worth lying down and crying over. My father could not help blushing. "'Twould be a pity, Trim," quoth my uncle Toby, "'thou shouldst ever feel sorrow of thy own. Thou feelest it so tenderly for others.' "'I like a day,' replied the corporal, brightening up his face. "'Your honour knows I have neither wife or child. I can have no sorrows in this world.' my father could not help smiling. "'As you as any man, Trim,' replied my uncle Toby. "'Nor can I see how a fellow of thy light heart can suffer, but from the distress of poverty in thy old age, when thou art past all services, Trim, and hast outlived thy friends.' "'And please, your honour, never fear,' replied Trim, cheerily. "'But I would have thee never fear, Trim,' replied my uncle Toby. "'And therefore,' continued to my uncle Toby, throwing down his crutch, and getting up upon his legs as he uttered the word therefore, in recompense, Trim, of thy long fidelity to me, and that goodness of thy heart, I have had such proofs of. Whilst thy master's worth a shilling, thou shalt never ask elsewhere, Trim, for a penny. Trim attempted to thank my Toby, but had not power. Tears trickled down his cheeks faster than he could wipe them off. He laid his hands upon his breast, made a bow to the ground, and shut the door. "'I have left Trim my bowling-green,' cried my uncle Toby. My father smiled. "'I have left him, moreover, a pension,' continued my uncle Toby. My father looked grave. End of chapters 36 to 39